0: So guys, I am so excited about today's episode. Today we're talking about how to get pregnant. Everything you need to know when you're ready to start trying. I've been wanting to do this episode for years now because this is something my friends and I have been talking about at our real life girls nights for a really long time. If you're anything like me, the last time you got a full overview of your reproductive system was also the last time you took a health class. Which again, if you're anything like me was in high school and you were too busy trying not to actually die of embarrassment to really pay attention to what was going on. Also, for the longest time, I was mostly focused on how not to get pregnant. So when I actually wanted to get pregnant, I had no idea where to start. Okay, I knew where to start, but I didn't know much more than that. But really, there's so much that goes into it. And while yes, I have a great doctor and most of my friends do too, The really important how to get pregnant information is something we pass around to each other. It was my friend Hannah that told me that you can only get pregnant for a really short window of time each month, which is essential information. It was Kelsey who told me how long it typically takes to get pregnant, and who talked me through how I might feel if it didn't happen right away, which of course it didn't. My dear friend Anne was my practitioner actually for a while, and so she was the one telling me which prenatal vitamin to take, and she was also the one who referred me to our fertility clinic when the time came. It is not an exaggeration to say that my friends directly contributed to the lives of my babies, whether through emotional support, encouragement, or sending me the link to an ovulation predictor kit on Amazon. And I love that. That's exactly how it should be, right? And so that's why it was so important to me to capture the conversations that we've been having over the past few years and to share them with you. But because I didn't want to accidentally steer you wrong, I mean, we're not professionals, I wanted to make sure to bring a professional onto the show so that she can talk us through the details. So today's guest is my new friend, Rebecca Healy. Becca is a certified nurse midwife and provides full spectrum women's health care. In her spare time, she also runs a women's health account on Instagram where she provides free evidence-based information all about women's health. I've been following along with Becca for a while now and I love her content and her resources. I'm so excited for you to get to hear from her. She's gonna bring us back to the basics and explain how our bodies work in a really practical way She's also gonna walk us through the steps we need to take when we're ready to start trying to have a baby. I am so honored to get to talk through this together. But quick thing before we dive in, there's a resource I wanna share with you and it's my newest prayer journal called The Between Places, 100 Days to Trusting God When You Don't Know What's Next. I actually wrote this book as my husband, Carl, and I were going through IVF in vitro. And so this book is really, really close to my heart. It's for women who are in the thick of it, written by a woman who was, and in a lot of ways, still totally is, really in the thick of it. I love this journal because it's a powerful, practical way for us to connect with God in times when our future feels really uncertain. Through guided prayer prompts, the Between Places will help you trust God with the trickiest, most uncertain, and most important parts of your life. It'll help you believe more fully than ever that God is good, that He loves you, and that He's taking care of you. It'll help you live today with more contentment, step into the future with more courage and faith, and rest in God's peace, knowing that He's with you every step of the way. To pick up a copy, all you have to do is head to my website. It's stephaniemaywilson.com. Again, that's stephaniemaywilson.com. And that link will be in our show notes too. Okay, you guys ready? Let's jump into the episode with Becca. Hi, friends. I'm so excited for who I get to introduce you to today. I'm sitting with my new friend, Becca Healy. And Becca, I have been following you on Instagram for a while now. And the thing that we're talking about here on the show is something I've wanted to talk about for like a really long time now. So thanks for being on the show.
1: Of course. I'm excited to be here and thank you for the invitation. Yeah, of course. Okay.
0: So for women who haven't gotten to meet you yet, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact about yourself?
1: Yes. So my name is Rebecca Healy. I'm a certified nurse midwife, which means I provide full spectrum women's health care from your very first period all the way through menopause. That includes your annual checkup, birth control, consultations, fertility, prenatal care, of course, labor, birth and delivering babies, and then postpartum care. I am also a mom. I have a vibrant three-year-old. And like Stephanie, I also struggled with infertility. So I do have some IVF babies waiting for me um, in the freezer. And then in what little spare time I do have, I spend on Instagram. I run a women's health account on Instagram, where my goal is to provide free, high-quality evidence-based information all about women's health. Oh, that's fact. Yes, fact. Yeah. The fun fact is I didn't always start in uh, healthcare. I actually started as a music major. I played the cello, guitar, piano, and then I sang. And through all of that, I was able to produce a gospel music album, which is still being sold today. So there's a little fun fact.
0: Oh my... Okay. That is a really... That is an epic fun fact. That is a really good fun fact. Yeah. Um, On the album, did you... Like, did you do
1: all of the above on the album or were you just... Oh, so I did mostly singing and then I had a friend play the piano. And then there's also a male voice on the album, who was one of my good friends at the time. He did a lot of the guitar. Um, There's a cello song that I did. And then I did some of the guitar work on the album as well.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. that is that is very cool. I also need to ask, do you know how many babies you've delivered at this point? How many have
1: I delivered? Hundreds, hundreds of babies. <laughs> I don't have an exact number. I probably should keep track, but it's definitely in the hundreds, but it still feels like the first time every time. It still, you know, never gets old and it's never just another day for me. You know, it's always exciting.
0: That's so cool. That is so cool. Well, so I wanted to have you on today because I would love if you would teach us how babies are made. (laughs) Yeah. And I know that that sounds crazy. And I know when I when I sent you over the questions, I was like, I know this sounds like a joke, or I know this sounds crazy, but I'm very serious, because I think that here's at least for me, mm-hmm. the last time I had a health class, like a comprehensive, here's what's in your body, here's right. how your reproductive system works, was I was a senior in high school, yeah, and I I I think I was supposed to take it earlier, but I like pushed it off till senior year. And I remember just being like wildly uncomfortable during it, <laughs> like just trying to not make eye contact with anyone. And I, I don't know, and and really, my, I don't know what I was like. I, I wasn't applying any of it to myself. I basically was just trying to get through it. Yeah. And so and that's the last. Yeah, that's the last time I've had any sort of health training. And then after that, I mean, we're concerned with like our periods and when they, and more just for how they're disrupting our lives, you know, it's like life disruption management when it comes to your period and then like trying to not get pregnant. That's kind of the goal. And so when it came time for my husband and I to start talking about like, we actually want to have a baby. I honestly didn't know how anything in my body worked. Mm -hmm. And there are still some things, even after having two babies, going through all kinds of fertility, like treatments and operations and things. Mm -hmm. There are some things... I think that you're gonna tell me today that I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. So we just don't know this. And really, it was a girlfriend of mine that first told me that you can't get pregnant every day of the month. And then I told another friend that. And so there are four babies that exist in this world because that information was passed on to me and then I passed it on to someone else. Uh-huh. And so I, I just we could you like could use some training in this area. So
1: yeah. Two, Yeah, I definitely don't think you're alone in that. You know, patients, friends, I just think it's, you know, one of the reasons I want to start my Instagram is women's health information is kind of taboo. And if you're not talking about it, then you're not going to learn the information. And so you're definitely not alone in that. And there is a lot to talk about. And we want to try and open the book on a lot of these things.
0: I love that. I'm so, I'm so glad it's good to know I'm not alone. Like, it truly is the weirdest, feels weird to be like, you know, have two babies and go, how are babies made? But mm-hmm. we just don't like we just don't know. So can you tell us how babies are made one-on-one? Like what is happening at each stage? Yeah. What is in our bodies? What does that do? Teach us all the things we forgot from health class.
1: So it's gonna get a little technical, but I think it's really important to understand your menstrual cycle, what happens on each day and a lot about what goes on hormonally to really understand how we can get pregnant and how to m- have, make that be the you know quickest, easiest, most effective way to get pregnant. So first things first, your first day of full flow bleeding during your period, not like light spotting, but actual full flow bleeding is going to be considered cycle day one. And your cycle continues for however many days until the day before your next bleeding. And the average menstrual cycle length for women is going to be anywhere from 28 to 35 days. And so that's your cycle length. And the entire cycle is going to be divided into two parts. First half of your cycle, the second half of your cycle. And the first half of the cycle is called the follicular phase. Um, We'll talk about that. So follicular as in follicle. You may have heard, or maybe you haven't heard, that women are born with all of the eggs that they will ever have in their entire life. Have you ever heard of that before? I have heard of that. And it's really, that's like
0: intimidating.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very responsible with those eggs. Seriously. But those eggs are stored inside the ovaries in little compartments or little cells called follicles. Now, the follicles... As a follicular phase starts, your body will select a few of those cells, a few of those little chambers to become candidates for ovulation. By the middle of your follicular phase, your brain is going to send hormones to your ovaries to send follicle stimulating hormone and estrogen to kind of grow up and mature those few candidates that may or may not ovulate. By the late... Part of the follicular phase, one of those candidates is going to be selected as the queen bee to grow and to thrive and hopefully eventually ovulate. So, all of these hormones are circulating, and the dominant hormone is going to be estrogen. Estrogen is going to plump up the inside of the uterus, the uterine lining, get it soft and plush so that it's an ideal landing spot for a pregnancy if that queen bee. Gets fertilized. So once the follicle is big enough, your brain will tell the ovary to go ahead and release the egg. You know, the culminating point of the, the cycle is ovulation. And this is done through a, a hormone called luteinizing hormone. Most women have heard of this LH, it's, it's the big ovulatory hormone. And this is the signal that tells your body to release the egg. What a lot of women actually don't know is that it takes about 24 to 36 hours for the egg to be released from the ovary once that signal is sent. So um, the LH surge happens before ovulation actually occurs. So The release of the prized egg ovulation happens 24 to 36 hours after the LH surge. And that's really, that's the, the climax, the culmination of the follicular phase. And then that leads us to the second half of the menstrual cycle, which is called the luteal phase. So before I continue on with that, any questions, anything that you want to know more about the follicular phase? I, I almost
0: feel like like I have to say like follicular phase. And then what was the second one?
1: Uh, the second one is luteal. So follicular mm-hmm. is first, luteal is second. I remember follicular phase being like, you know, if I imagine the ovary almost like a honeycomb and the the follicles are all in the ovary, and then finally, the one major follicle gets selected to be the queen bee and eventually ovulate. So follicular has to do with the follicles. And then the second half, we're going to talk about the luteal phase and why it's called that.
0: Okay. Okay. I think, yes, I think this all makes sense. And and yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you.
1: Keep going. Keep going. (laughs) I told you it's going to get a little dense here for a second, but it's important to understand this as we try to get pregnant. So the second half of the menstrual cycle, which is called the luteal phase. It's called that because it all has to do with a little something called the corpus corpus luteum. So once the egg is released from the follicle, the shell of the egg, so to speak, is called the corpus luteum. So this shell, the corpus luteum, secretes the hormone progesterone, which is the dominant hormone of the luteal phase. Now the egg will journey from the ovary into the fallopian tube where hopefully it will meet its match and fertilization will occur. Now the egg can only survive in the fallopian tube for about 12 to 24 hours. So it's really important that there are some sperms waiting in there for the egg or that they quickly get there so that that egg can go ahead and be fertilized. Now, fun fact, sperm can live in the female reproductive tract for up to five days. So there should be plenty of opportunity, even though we are only fertile, you know, the egg can only live for 12 to 24 hours. Sperm can live for up to five days if they're lying in wait for the egg to (laughs) arrive. So that's when conception happens. So conception happens within 24 hours of ovulation and Therefore, 60 hours or so after you get that LEH surge. And what's actually pretty cool is that human studies have actually shown that where it was previously thought that whichever sperm is the fastest, you know, reaches the egg and then that's how fertilization occurs. Actually, the egg has a bigger part in fertilization than previously thought, meaning that the egg will choose which sperm she's going to allow inside. And so I, that's kind of a fun fact, you know, it's not all about the sperm just getting there haphazardly but both egg and sperm have to accept each other on a molecular level for those two to match and i think that's important to understand when we talk about like miscarriage and things like that um you know why isn't it working out and i always explain it to my patients especially if it's their first miscarriage you know sometimes egg and sperm they just don't match up every time, and it doesn't work out. And so, I think it's uh, important to understand that they're they're both trying to, on a molecular level level, meet up, join, and make that conception. So. After that, so once egg and sperm have met, over the next few days, your fallopian tubes will roll the egg down into the uterus. And then that's where it's going to embed itself into that plush uterine lining that has been de- developing in the follicular phase. So on average, it takes about eight to nine days for this to happen after fertilization. So it takes about eight to nine days for that egg to slowly make its way all the way into the uterus. So we're finally in the uterus now. It's, we've, we've come a long day from uh, ovulation all the way until implantation into the uterus. And once that egg has implanted, yeah, the egg and sperm are now considered an embryo. And so that's the first stage of human life. And that embryo begins making the pregnancy hormone we all know as HCG. The long name is human Corionic gonadotropin, but we like to call it <laughs> HCG. <laughs> progesterone from the corpus luteum and HCG sustain the pregnancy and keep it going until your placenta will eventually develop. Placenta will start taking over a lot of the functions as early as eight weeks, um, but it's fully capable of sustaining a pregnancy at 12 weeks. So as you start heading into your second trimester, it'll be fully placenta and progesterone isn't as important at that time. So does that help kind of explain the menstrual cycle, how egg and sperm meet and when that embryo kind of takes over?
0: Yes. And so if it doesn't, if the egg isn't
1: fertilized, then it just... Yeah, so yeah, if the egg is just chilling in the fallopian tube and there's no sperm to meet it and no sperm arrive within time for her life cycle, then she doesn't get fertilized and your body kind of like waits for a little bit. But if the egg does not implant, the HCG does not sustain the progesterone from the corpus luteum. And if there's no HCG, then there's no progesterone. The progesterone levels will drop. And that signals your uterus to shed that plush uterine lining because no baby, clear out the space, start over next cycle. And so that's what your period is, is you're shedding that inside of your uterine lining because no baby was there. And then you go ahead and get your period and the entire cycle starts over. So it's a negative feedback loop. And I have like graphics and stuff on my Instagram page that you can look at how the hormones wave. But basically... We talked about how the first half of the cycle, the follicular phase, high in estrogen, plumps up that lining, and then progesterone comes once you ovulate. If if you get fertilized and that HCG rises, progesterone rises with it. If you don't, that progesterone plummets, the uterine lining sheds, and that signals the body to start the process all over again.
0: That is... I I do need some graphics. So we're going to have to go. We're going to go over to your Instagram because now I'm like how does the, like, what do the flipping tubes look like? How is everything connected? Yeah. Uh, So I feel like it's like, you got to see it. and got to see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That is, that's super, super helpful. I, this is sort of a, like, I mean, tangent a little bit, but I know that there are people who talk about your cycle and the way that it impacts your life. Like Mm -hmm. all those hormones that you're talking about going up and down. And I think that's, There have been times in my life where I've felt very like controlled by those things. Like I know when my period's coming because I feel it in every corner of my life. And then there are times where I'm like, no, I'm not paying attention to that. Like it's, it's, I'm just living my life. Like I'm not, I'm not allowing myself almost to be on kind of a constant roller coaster. Mm -hmm. How much does that, like how much do those hormones impact
1: how we feel? Yeah, that's a great question actually. And especially when I'm doing birth control consultations, we talk about you know the change in the hormones and how um, you can expect to feel on different hormones. Progesterone is typically known as a downer hormone typically slows things down. That's why in the first trimester, when you have such high levels of progesterone, you're just like feeling so exhausted. You know, your GI tract is moving slower than normal. I've actually seen women kind of struggle with depression or issues like that in the first trimester because of high levels of progesterone. Whereas estrogen is kind of known as like the glowy pregnancy hormone or the happy hormone. We see this also being manifest during menopause. In menopause, our estrogen levels drop off significantly, extremely low on estrogen. And so one thing that a lot of women don't consider with menopause is you know, depression, mood disorders, and things like that. And so as the estrogen and progesterone levels are fluctuating in the small space of 28 to 35 days, it's normal to expect to see some mood swings, and then, of course, you know, during your period, when that progesterone level drops off so suddenly, that's why we get PMS. That's why we're feeling all these things because it's a roller coaster. It literally is. Even the graphics, it looks like a roller coaster.
0: <laughs> I think. I think uh, maybe I need to be a little bit kinder to myself about that. You mm-hmm. know, that, that it's like a, this is a very real thing that's happening in our bodies. Definitely, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it's not something we can like talk ourselves out of. And so being just cognizant of it
1: um, seems like a really much kinder way to go about it. And I think with a lot of things, the more we know and the more we understand about our body and the more things make sense to us, the better we are able to cope with that information and feelings and And, you know, even with infertility, I felt like a way that I was able to cope is just like really getting down to the nitty gritty details and understanding how amazing science is and how amazing the body is and how amazing we're created to be able to have the help of, of science, but then also incorporating what we know about our body. So it is kind of miraculous. And I think understanding it sheds a light on a lot of things in life, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think too, there have been times where I've like marked the calendar, or like, I mean, the whole time we were trying to get pregnant, I was watching my cycle really closely. And so then you almost have like a heads up that Mm -hmm. if you are starting to feel kind of funky, there's a reason, you know? And whereas instead, I think for years, I was like, I feel weird. What's wrong? As you know, everything's wrong. It's like, no, if you just wrote it down, you would see on the calendar that they're like, you might feel a little funky. And if you don't, that's great. But if you do, you at least know you're not crazy and you're not making it up and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So what happens if we are thinking about trying to get pregnant? One of the first things that I wondered was before we, you know, stop taking our birth control or, you know, take out our IUD or, you know, whatever form of birth control we're using, stop using condoms, do we need like a checkup? Like, is there some sort of... I, I don't know. Like, it feels like there's some... there's Someone should give you the go-ahead to start trying? Like, can my body do this? Is it ready to start trying? I don't know. Is like, yeah, is there a pre-pregnancy checkup that you're supposed to do?
1: Yeah, I think it depends on your own specific health history, what you have going on in your medical history, um, whether or not to schedule a specific preconception visit largely depends on, do you have risk factors like high blood pressure? Do you have pre-existing diabetes? Do you have like a family history of genetic conditions, history of sexually transmitted infections, all of these things. But if you're just like a normal, healthy, you don't have any issues, you're young, it may not be 100% necessary to go in and for someone to tell you what you already know. But at the same time, it's good to always have your annual checkup. You know, 50% of pregnancies in the United States are unplanned. And so really, every time you see your primary care physician or your women's health provider, like be that midwife, OBGYN, women's health nurse practitioner, whomever you see, they should always be doing some sort of preconception counseling and, you know, asking you, are you on birth control? Are You're considering coming off of it, reviewing your medication list and things like that. And so I guess it just depends is the answer. I mean, it's never a bad idea to go in and get a preconception visit, but don't panic if you happen to get pregnant and you're like, "Oh, I didn't go see my doctor first because, you know, if you're just getting your general checkups from your women's health care provider and you're a generally healthy person, it shouldn't be an issue. That being said, um, if you do have an extensive medication list, you'll want to review that with your prescriber to make sure that they're going to be compatible with pregnancy. And then something that I talk about in my annual checkups with women, even if they're not planning pregnancy, you know, knowing what I know about oops pregnancies, I recommend all pregnant women take, a, excuse me, all women in general take a, a daily women's vitamin, whether that's a prenatal or a women's vitamin. It doesn't matter. They're all going to have some sort of folic acid in there. So regardless of family plans, but especially if you're sexually active, I just recommend taking a daily vitamin. You never know. Tell, talk to us about folic
0: acid and why that's important real quick.
1: Yeah. So specifically for women who are planning to get pregnant, I recommend starting a prenatal vitamin about three months before you start trying. Um, Some studies have shown that if you take your prenatal a little earlier, you're increasing those micronutrients that maybe you were deficient on. So when you get into your first trimester and you're not really feeling like eating or doing anything healthy at that point, (laughs) at least you've been prepared. And some studies have actually shown that it can decrease your risk for morning sickness and stuff like that. But The reason that folic acid is so important is that it's the only micronutrient that has been proven to decrease neural tube defects like spina bifida and other developmental issues with the spine. And the most important time to start taking a prenatal is before you even know you're pregnant because the spine is one of the very first things that that develops. And so if you're taking that folic acid, you have it on board, then you know you're going to be covered whether, you know, it was a planned pregnancy or an unplanned pregnancy. The most important part for fetal development, organ development is going to be in that very first trimester. And along those lines, you know, if you are consciously trying to get pregnant, I also recommend like cutting up alcohol or other things that could affect organ development. Okay.
0: Okay. Do you have a
1: recommendation for a prenatal? Really anything with folic acid. The recommendation is 400 micrograms of folic acid daily. And if your prenatal has it, there's kind of... I even hesitate to talk about this because I don't want to open a can of worms, but there's a folate versus folic acid debate going out there. But I'll just say this, that folic acid is the only micronutrient that has been Specifically studied and proven to prevent neural tube defects, and so just check the ingredients on your prenatal, and if it has at least four hundred micrograms of folic acid, then you're probably good. I have my favorites in far as far as taste goes, but really anything on the market is going to be enough. You know, whatever fits in your budget and whatever you have access to. Okay, okay, we'll get your favorites later. We'll right. we'll put this in the show notes. Okay, okay. So what
0: when we stop taking birth control? And I think maybe the answer is different depending on what kind of like preventative measures we've been taking. Can we get pregnant right after we stop? Or is there sort of a transition time where your body has to recalibrate before it can get pregnant?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And it totally depends on what birth control you're taking. Like, obviously, <laughs> if you're using condoms or like natural family planning, then it's, there's going to be no change in the hormones of your cycle. So, um, whenever you stop using those methods, you could get pregnant. Same goes for the Paragard Copper IED, which is also non hormonal, really shouldn't affect your cycle length or your ovulation. And so, you should be able to track that as you normally would. And then, on the other hand, like totally opposite end of the spectrum, the depot shot is a form of birth control, a form of progesterone only birth control. It can take up to 18 months to get your full fertility back with the depot. So, I always try and counsel that, counsel my patients on that if they are choosing the depot, that if they're planning a pregnancy in the near future, maybe it's not the best choice for them. That being said, the average return to fertility with the depot is about 10 months. It's designed to work for about three months, but we can never guarantee when your fertility is going to come back after the depot because it's an injection and everyone is going to metabolize it a little differently. And so that one is a little a little harder. As far as the pill goes, which is the most popular form of birth control, return to fertility is going to be rapid. Um, there's no need to wait to try to conceive. You don't need to like do a birth control cleanse or anything like that. What I do recommend is stop your pill on your first day of scheduled bleeding. So, cycle day one, just to make it easier for tracking your cycle because you know your full flow bleeding starts on cycle day one. And that way you can count and track and know when you're going to be ovulating and know when to anticipate your next period. That being said, it may take you about three cycles or so after coming off the pill to really understand your cycle. Um, If you've been on the pill for a while, Um, same thing goes for other combined methods like NuvaRing, the birth control patch, things like that. And then as far as IUD goes, the IUDs go, the hormonal IUDs, which are again, another super popular option, Mirena, Skyla, Kyleena, etc., the return to fertility could literally be immediate. Like you take it out and your body's like, I'm going to ovulate in three days. And, you know, and then you can get pregnant right away. Or, you know, it can take about a month for your cycles to come back to normal. But just like with the pill, it may take like one to three months to kind of figure it out. The three month rule is not evidence-based. There's no rules to any of this. Who knows what your body's going to do. But, you know, based on what we do now, it it should be you know, back to normal within about a month or so. Okay, okay, that's super helpful.
0: Hey friends, I wanted to take a quick pause from my conversation with Becca to thank our sponsor for today. Our sponsor for today's episode is an awesome company called Prose. Now most of you have heard me sing the praises of Prose, the world's most personalized hair care. But for those who haven't, I wanted to tell you about the incredible results I'm seeing since using my customized Prose products. Rose has given over 1 million consultations with their hair quiz, and that's how the process started for me. The quiz was so much fun. It felt like one of those magazine quizzes I used to love. It was easy, but also in depth. They asked me so many questions that I wouldn't have thought to answer, like, how much does your hair shed? Or is your hair oily at the ends or just near your scalp? So I did the hair quiz and I placed my order and just a few days later, the package showed up on my doorstep. I have a pre-shampoo mask, shampoo and conditioner. I've been using these products for a while now, and it's made such a difference. My hair feels silky, soft, and looks even shinier. And the other thing I love is that you can continuously customize your formula. They'll help you tweak things depending on your lifestyle changes or even changes in the weather. Prose is also focused on providing clean and responsible products. Every product is free of parabens, sulfates, phthalates, mineral oils, GMOs, and is always cruelty-free. Also, if you're not 100% positive that Prose is the best hair care you've ever had, they will take the products back, no questions asked. But I have a feeling that won't be an issue. Guys, Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. You can take your free in-depth hair quiz and get 15% off your order today. Just go to com slash girlsnight. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash girlsnight for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off. Pros, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls night. We just love having you. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies, and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash friendship. You talked us through our cycle and like, you know, the fact that we have our queen bee egg mm-hmm. ready to go for like, you said 12 to 24 hours, right? The, of, of life? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do we, when, when it comes to trying to get pregnant, I think that like... At, at least in my conversations with friends, like yeah. there are people who are just doing this sort of like, we'll see what happens yeah. kind of method. Yeah. And so they aren't on birth control anymore or they're not preventing in any way, but they're not, you know, timing anything or, you know, they're just, yeah, kind of living life and seeing what happens. But then I also have a lot of friends. And I mean, this was what we did for a really long time who are like, I'm ready to get pregnant now. And knowing that, you know, we only have such a short window. I feel like it's so easy. If if you only have one day, it's so easy to miss that day. And so, and we were really trying to track. So how do you track? How do you know when you can get pregnant if you're really
1: trying to like be intentional about it? Yeah. And so this takes us back to the first question. I'm really understanding the menstrual cycle, the hormones of the menstrual cycle and all of that dense information from the beginning, but... The best way to pinpoint, you know, the easiest way to get pregnant, your chances of success is to know exactly when you're ovulating. Now, there's a simple way and there's a less simple way to do that. The very, very simplest way is to estimate when you ovulate retrospectively. So basically, that means you're going to look back at your last few cycles and understand that most women are going to ovulate 14 days prior to cycle day one. Because the luteal phase is more predictable than the follicular phase. So for example, in a perfect world, if someone has a 28-day cycle, they count back 14 days, they will probably have ovulated on cycle day 14. If someone has a 35 day cycle, you count back 14 days, she probably ovulated on cycle day 21. So not everyone's gonna ovulate on the same day, but what we do know is that in healthy women, the luteal phase is typically about 14 days. That's why you can only if you're using the calendar method, you can only look back retrospectively after it's already happened. Whereas most women have been taught that like, oh, you ovulate on cycle day 14, you know, only if you have a 28 day cycle, you do. Um, but in some women who have like 32 day cycles, she's going to be ovulating a few days after that. And that's when a lot of women miss their window and they come to me for like, oh, I can't get pregnant. And, and it turns out they've been tracking their cycles wrong all along. Um, the more foolproof way, which is a little more intensive, is going to be alleged monitoring. So we talked about the luteinizing hormone. We talked about that hormone will spike about 24 to 36 hours prior to ovulation. And so there are easy at home ways to track this spike. And then you can estimate, okay, I know I'm going to drop an egg in 24 to 36 hours, so we better make sure there's some sperm waiting for. And so you can kind of like do timed intercourse and plan for that. And that's going to be the most accurate because you're not guessing. You're not counting. It doesn't have to be retrospective, and you can just start that today. So the way to do this at home is you can get urine test strips. You can get them at any pharmacy. They're usually cheap in bulk on Amazon. But I think it's also really important to know how to accurately check your LH. And when you pee on the stick, it's just like a pregnancy test. You know, you'll. You, on the stick and the LH test will always be a little bit positive. So you might be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm cycle day 10. Why am I ovulating already?" It's always going to be a little bit positive cuz we're always going to have a little bit of that luteinizing hormone, but we want to look for the test that is most positive. That is the darkest positive. And so what you'll do is you'll keep taking the test and I recommend taking pictures of the of the tests that you do so that you can like put them side by side and kind of compare like, "Oh, is this one darker? Is it getting lighter?" Eventually, you're, you'll have a really dark test. And then after that one, your test will progressively get lighter and lighter. And then you can pinpoint, yep, I, I ovulated on cycle, you know, I got my LH surge on cycle day 15. Now I know I'm going to ovulate either cycle day 16 to cycle day 17 or something like that. And so it's not just oh, I ovulated the day I got my positive LH. You're actually ovulating 24 to 36 hours after you get that positive test. So LH um, fluctuates just like a bunch of other hormones in our body, depending on what time of day it is. So I recommend checking your LH around noon, around lunchtime. That's when you're most likely to catch that surge. If you're really going to be obsessive, you could check twice a day. Like you could check first thing in the morning, first thing in the night to make sure you don't miss you know the peak surge and make sure like if you've been doing this for a while and you really want to pinpoint it, you could try doing it that way. And then you can also tell from your body when you're going to ovulate. Another sign of fertility you may have heard of is cervical mucus. So if you've been trying to conceive for any length of time, you've probably seen that on the internet. You've probably seen people talking about egg whites and stretchy and like, what the heck does that mean? And this is because estrogen levels are going to be at their highest. We talked about how estrogen plumps up the uterine lining, gets it ready for as soon as that egg is fertilized, we're going to be prepared for it. So estrogen is going to be at the highest peak about one day before you ovulate. So that once you ovulate, everything is set and ready to go. And that high level of estrogen is going to start to thin out the mucus that protects um, the inside of the cervix. It's going to make it nice and stretchy. It's going to make it clear and it's going to make it permeable to sperm. If the mucus is permeable to sperm, then the sperm can swim up through the uterus and into the fallopian tube where they can meet the egg. If the cervical mucus is not thinned out, then sperm have a really, really hard time actually getting inside the uterus. So that's another thing women look for. You know, is my cervical mucus thin, stretchy, clear? Are the sperm going to be able to get in there? Um, But again, very subjective, hard to monitor, kind of messy if you're not into that. Um, And so, all in all, I would go with the LH method. <laughs> I never understood the cervical mucus thing. I mean, I like researched it. I mm-hmm. I
0: knew the things, but that was never that was never helpful to me. But the yes. the LH tips definitely so were
1: subjective too. Um, but what
0: and what does stretchy mean? I don't know what stretchy means. I've never paid attention to this before. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, that's super helpful. And we're gonna um, we'll make sure to get. A recommendation of some like test strips. Yeah. From sure. you. So we'll we'll make sure to have those in the show notes too. That was another thing that, like, I mean, truly b- babies have been made because of girlfriends passing on this information. Like mm-hmm. my friend Hannah, who's been on the show a bunch, was like, okay, you can only get pregnant like, you know, a day a month, mm-hmm. and you figure out what that day is through these strips. Here's the ones, like, or here are the ones I used, mm-hmm. buy them on Amazon. And I mean, truly, it's like, I don't know. That's why I knew we had to do this episode because I'm like, where are people supposed to find out these things if they don't have a girlfriend telling them? So, and I mean, I have bought
1: LH tips for people in my life that I really love because no one told them either. Yeah. And I do want to add that knowing when you're ovulating is only half the battle, right? Because we have to make sure that, that the other half of the equation is there, that there's sperm there to meet the egg. And so, you know, when are we supposed to have sex? We know that... The egg only survives for 12 to 24 hours, but we know that sperm can survive for up to five days. So is there is there such thing as too much sex when trying to conceive? I recommend every other day. I don't want you like having sex all day, multiple times a day, wearing yourself out, um, because it can sometimes do more harm than good. So what I typically advise my patients to do is to start, like actively trying five days before you think you're going to ovulate, because we know five sperm can last for at least five days. So any sooner isn't going to be productive. Obviously, you can do it for fun. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> if we're doing it just to try to conceive, five days before you think you're going to ovulate, start having sex every other day. If you do it any more often, you run the risk of taking the fun out of it. Out of it, and you can actually, men can actually have decreased sperm count if they're having sex too often. And so just to make sure that you have the best chance every time you do have sex, every other day is going to be the key. If you're only going to have like, maybe you're super busy or your husband's out of town or something, and you're only going to have sex one day of the month, the best day would be the day of the positive LH test, because you know you're going to drop an egg within the next twenty four to thirty six hours, and you know there's going to be some sperm there waiting for it. So, but otherwise, you know, the it's better to have sex before ovulation than obviously after because we do have such a short uh, time frame on that. So that's something to add. Why the LH strips are so so important, is so that you can know when to time intercourse.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have an so, I mean, this every everything that you just said about timing everything and and uh, all of it, it's like bringing back so many, like so many memories because we did this for so long. Do you have an app that you like to keep track of all of this?
1: So really any app is going to work. There actually is an app. I have my phone right here. I'm going to look at it. The reason I like this app, I think it's called like Premom... Ovulation Tracker by Premom. I've recommended this to some of my patients. The reason I like this one is because you can actually take pictures of your LH test strips and it will like organize them for you and tell you like, hey, this looks really dark. And then you don't have to like be squinting at the test and like keep your pee sticks in your drawer. Um, <laughs> so for me, that's what I would like. But really like even your regular calendar, you can keep track of your period on. And you know, if you're going to do the calendar method or whatnot. Yeah. But apps do make it like a ton easier. And so the app is called Ovulation Tracker by Premom.
0: Okay. Okay. That's awesome. I'm trying to remember which ones I used. I think I used
1: Ovia. Is that one? Oh, yeah. I've used that. Before. I've like used all of them, you know? Yeah. I'm like, I I've, yeah. I've Fertility people, we've tried everything. So yeah, I literally have, have. I've used Ovia. I've used Fertility Friend. I've used Period Tracker. I've used Glow. I've <laughs> used Premom. So oh, yeah right there with you.
0: One of the things and I I know you're going to understand this, but one of the things that I think was hardest about not getting pregnant every month is that on my apps, I would be like reading all of the articles and every month I would look up what are the symptoms of early pregnancy. And I remember one time in particular, it might have been the first time we really tried. There was this I almost said this is too much information this is girls night. Welcome everybody. If you're new to the show, this is like, this is girls night. There, one of the symptoms was like pre-implantation bleeding. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, you might just bleed like a little. And Carl and I were going somewhere with some friends. And I think it was before my period was supposed to start and I was bleeding like a tiny bit. And I like came out of the bathroom, like (laughs) freaking out. And I was like, oh my gosh, Carl, like I think I think that this is happening. And so we went about that whole night feeling like we had this secret that like we were pretty sure I was pregnant. And like, of course, and like I wasn't. And that, I mean, they're like, your boobs are probably going to hurt. I'm like, my boobs hurt every month. Or like, you might feel crampy or you might feel fatigued or you might feel a little nauseous or whatever. All of those things are also PMS symptoms. And so I guess like talk us through what we should be doing as we're waiting to find out if we're pregnant and like, how do we know if it
1: worked? Yeah. So we talked about implantation a little bit previously. See, we keep going back to that first part, you know, Mm -hmm. but typically implantation after the egg has rolled down the fallopian tube into the uterus, it's going to implant about eight to nine days after fertilization. We know that fertilization happens a little bit after your positive LH test. So If you're going off of the day you got your positive LH test, that's going to be 9 to 10 days after your positive LH. You should get your period, like we said, 14 days after ovulation. So it will be about four to five days before your expected period is when, if you're going to see a little implantation spotting, that's what it would be. And the reason for implantation spotting is, you know, there's a lot of blood flow in that endometrial lining. It's plush, it's thick, lots of good blood flow so that embryo can thrive and survive. And so as it kind of like buries itself in there, you know, a little spotting might slip out. It doesn't happen to everyone. And honestly, if you were not like waiting and looking for it, you probably wouldn't notice it. But as far as when to take a pregnancy test, Over the counter pregnancy tests that you're going to get at your pharmacy or Target or whatever can pick up an hCG level as low as 25, which is really low. So they're they're great options. My preference is a digital because I'm known to like make something out of nothing um, and just like squint and like, oh, I think it's positive. No, it's not positive. So I learned a while ago, and I like recommend my friends just get a digital and. Save your brain some trauma, but as far as when to take it, you can you can technically start taking a test as soon as you want, like a week after ovulation. But I would recommend waiting until two days before your period, which is really hard to do. But I think it's going to save you a lot of money and a lot. Of- <laughs> They're yeah. really expensive. Yeah, they are. They're a lot of money, and like if you're testing every day like a week after ovulation and baby doesn't even implant until like five days before your expected period, I wouldn't like, don't even bother testing (laughs) before then. So that's good to know. But we really want to make sure that those HCG levels get up to like at minimum 25 to even be detectable. So your best chance of getting a true positive, if you're going to get a positive would be at most two days before your expected period. That is so, it is so long to wait. I know. It's like eternal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It really is. We, I'm trying to think when we finally were pregnant after we did IVF, I remember them calling us and telling us that they, like, they were like, your HCG level was, and I can't remember what they said, but they were like, we'd call it positive if it was this. And it was like 10 or I don't know, something exactly. like that. Yeah. Is it 10? And they're like, yours is like 400. I was like, whoa. Okay. And then they were like, we're going to have you come back and test, like, you know, we're going to test your blood a couple of days later just to make sure that it's, like gone up. Mm -hmm. We're hoping it's going to double. And then mine quadrupled. And they were like, so we just need to tell you every once in a while, this is an indication of multiples, not necessarily, uh, but
1: sometimes. And it definitely, definitely was. Yeah. It brings back memories for me. And I remember my fertility center telling me, don't take a home pregnancy test. You need to wait for your blood test and, you know, we'll trend your increasing levels, make sure they're doubling, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, that's never going to happen. Like, I'm never going to wait. So I like had all my pregnancy tests ready, like two (laughs) days before the beta test. And I was like, I got my positive and I was like, so happy. And they're like, did you test? And I was like, no. No, I didn't. No, I I didn't
0: (laughs) test because they said that they, they they're like, you could get false positives because you're so jacked up
1: on hormones. Like, I I don't even care. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know, I'll, tell you, I'll wait two days before your period. But then when it's me in that situation, I'm like 30 tests later.
0: Yeah. They're like, what is it? Like $14 for two or something like that? Like they're okay. not... Half the time it's 25, you know? Okay, on- maybe I, I, I didn't buy very many because I was like, I was convinced for the longest time that pregnancy tests like didn't have two answers. They only had one. Like, they are incapable of being positive. And so I just am not going to waste my money and I'm not going to take one. Uh, so I did take a pregnancy test after they called us to tell us we were pregnant. Like, I I, Yeah, I wanted to see, like, do these
1: actually ever say positive? They do, it turns out. So, okay. But... um to answer your initial question about like the PMS symptoms and stuff like that. Yes. Um, <laughs> we got way off back there. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's frustrating. Yes. It's annoying, but you really do just have to wait and see because your mind is going to play tricks on you. You're going to be Googling every symptom that you see, like, oh my gosh, is this a sign of pregnancy? And then um, you want to be pregnant so bad that you're going to start feeling what you believe you should be feeling. And we we see that a lot like Oh, like I never have breast tenderness, but now I do. I think I'm pregnant, you know. And it's just because you're wanting and hoping so bad for that to be a symptom. And like we said, your progesterone levels are the highest before you start your period. And so you're still gonna get those signs of high progesterone, like the breast tenderness, like the moodiness, the fatigue, all that kind of stuff. Those are also PMS symptoms. But the difference between like first trimester pregnancy symptoms is that progesterone will just like continue to get climb and climb and climb. And the HTG levels will get higher and higher, higher. And those symptoms will, you know, typically get worse. You know, everyone experiences pregnancy a little bit differently versus PMS, you know, by that time you will have gotten your period.
0: That makes sense. Okay. You know, I think for, I mean, like I told you, our that I think it was either the first or second month that, that happened that we were like, oh my gosh, we're pregnant. Um, You know, I knew, I had so many friends that like go before me in this, you know, journey of becoming a mom. Mm-hmm. And they told me stuff like, it may not happen right away. And that is very normal. Mm-hmm. I still was like heartbroken when it yeah. didn't happen right away because it it does sometimes. And I think that that's one of the hardest things is that sometimes you go into trying to get pregnant and you think, well, it's taken most of my friends like a year, so I have some time. And then it happens right away. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I wasn't actually... Mm-hmm prepared for that? Or you think, you know, I mean, we really waited to start trying until we were like, if it happened today, like if I had a baby today, we would be ready. Right. And then it, you know, a couple of years later, like, you know, we finally got there. And so what is actually normal? Like how, what is normal when it comes to how long it takes to get pregnant?
1: So I think a lot has to do with are we trying, trying, or are we not preventing? You know, like the conversation we just had, but about 80% of couples are going to be successful at achieving pregnancy within the first six months. When you push it to 12 months, it's about 85. So it really doesn't increase much after the first six months, but it does increase. So that's why we say if you've been trying for a year, When you're still not pregnant, 85% of people should be pregnant after trying for a year. So if you're not, you know, maybe you should talk to someone about that. That being said, if you are over age 35 and so, you're getting older and you've been tracking your ovulation and you're doing everything right with trying to conceive and you're still not pregnant after six months, I would recommend having that conversation sooner than someone who's like in their early 20s and has been trying for six months. I would advise them to you know give it the full year versus the older we get. We do know that fertility does decline. And so it may be necessary to get an evaluation sooner.
0: Talk to me about that really quick because I do remember seeing... I do remember seeing, I mean, so people like say the most horrible things to you when you're trying to get pregnant. And like, I mean, things like you have geriatric eggs or things like that, which that's a medical term, right? But it's horrible. Yeah. (laughs) What what a maternal age. (laughs) It's, jeez. I do remember seeing a chart when we were going through an IVF class Mm -hmm. um, about your like, egg quality as you get older. And I think that I remember feeling like just this whole wave of hope because it seemed like your egg quality stayed pretty or like didn't decline
1: super rapidly until older than I thought you were. As far as like super rapidly, right? So we do know that age is a factor when trying to conceive. You got to think, you know, you've had these eggs since You were literally in your mother's womb. And so I think a lot has to depend on, you know, not only how you've taken care of yourself, but what other genetic and extrinsic factors in your life have contributed to your egg quality over time. There's things you can't control and there's things that you can't, but we do know that your best chance is always going to be in your 20s. Um, Early 30s is going to be fine but then after age 35, we do see a decline. And definitely after age 40, we see a very steep decline in fertility. The average age of menopause in women in the United States is 52. That being said, women can experience premenopausal symptoms as early as eight years prior to the onset of menopause. And so you can see that starting at age 40, you're going to see a very steep decline in your fertility as you start getting into premenopausal symptoms, low estrogen levels, stuff like that. As far as men goes, a lot of time we think, oh, men are fertile forever. Like their eggs never die. But well, A, they don't have eggs, <laughs> they have sperm. But <laughs> 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 but small yeah, small detail. But we do know that men are also most fertile in their 20s. And that does stay steady up until around the 50s, and then, then the sperm quality will start to drop off. So men do maintain their fertility a little longer, but peak fertility is always going to be the 20s.
0: That's stressful because
1: peak readiness is no not the
0: 20s. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when it comes to getting pregnant, this is something I Googled so much. Mm-hmm. Um. Are there things that we, other than tracking, I guess, are there things that we can do to increase our chances of success that are like Proven? Mm-hmm. like when we we're when we we're talking about cervical mucus, I feel like somewhere I saw something about taking like mucinex or something like that. or like, I mean, there's all or like, how long should you lay there after you have sex? or like different things like that. Are there? What are some, I guess, what are some, some suggestions that you've heard? Just because, I mean, maybe people haven't done as much Googling as I did. Yeah. And then what
1: is actually real? Yeah. So there's a lot of old wives tales out there and most of them don't have any evidence behind them. Half of that is because nobody's willing to study that. Nobody's willing to put the research behind it. And half of it is, you know, research has been put behind it and and the evidence is just not there. So we do know the fastest ticket. We already talked about tracking, pinpointing that ovulation, you know, arranging that meeting, sex positions, standing on your head after sex, whether or not you orgasm, all of that stuff. Really doesn't make a difference. Like, there's no evidence behind it. Um, as far as taking Mucinex, other supplements, stuff like that, I think that's definitely on a case by case basis. I wouldn't go off like prescribing that to myself. And what evidence we do have on Mucinex and stuff like that is going to be very, very minimal and kind of like a Hail Mary kind of situation. So, that one's kind of muddy. But as far as like lube, a lot of people have questions about lube and conception. There's also really surprisingly no convincing evidence on whether or not lube affects conception rates. Studies show that there's really no difference in women who use lube and women who don't use lube on time to successful pregnancy. So you know, if you're a woman who likes to use lube and you're nervous about it, you can always use pre-seed, which has been proven not to decrease sperm motility. But either way, it's probably not going to make much of a difference. And adding lube is not going to increase your chances either. And then we talked about age being a factor. So that definitely affects, you know, your success rates. And, And then lifestyle, lifestyle is huge. You know, are you living a healthy lifestyle smoking tobacco, recreational drug use, like marijuana, obesity, extremely low weight, frequent vigorous, like if you're a really intense athlete, high intensity workouts, these can actually all have negative effects on your fertility, egg quality, sperm quality. Some of these effects are reversible and some of them may not be. So healthy lifestyle habits are always going to have a positive effect on your fertility overall. Um, There have been studies on like um activity level diet there ha- there's not one like proven fertility diet but there are certain things that we will recommend for improving your fertility so for me i recommend 150 minutes of exercise a week for all women of childbearing age but especially if you're trying to get pregnant so if you want to divide this evenly this works out to about 30 minutes five times a week or about 45 minutes to an hour, three times a week. Um, So just find an enjoyable way to move your body, get your blood flowing, increase pelvic blood flow, and things like that, power walking, dancing. like It doesn't have to be anything crazy. And and as far as diet goes, I just recommend eating a colorful variety of nutrient-rich foods when trying to conceive and while pregnant. So Full fat dairy. So trying to avoid like low fat yogurt or like low fat milk, stuff like that. So if you're eating dairy, try and get full fats. omega three. Omega-3s like fatty fish, um, fatty nuts like walnuts, flax seeds are also supposed to help with fertility. Iron-rich foods, we see a lot of anemia in pregnancy. So it's good to work those into your diet when you're trying to conceive. Um, And one study actually showed that plant-based proteins are better than animal proteins. And that probably has to do with animal proteins having high levels of trans fats and things like that. So decreasing trans fats like fried foods, animal fats, Fast food, all the good stuff. Um, <laughs> and then decreasing high glycemic foods, which means um, high and quick sugars, like processed sugars, sweetened sodas, you know, all of the stuff that you would typically think about. Um, decreasing those can also have a positive effect on your fertility. And then, lastly, as far as supplements goes, I do have a list of supplements that I advise my tri- couples who are trying to conceive take. But I think it's important to talk to your provider before. Starting the new supplements, and it's definitely not a one size fits all. And, you know, I am able to add like more disclaimers and stuff on my Instagram like, hey, you can take this, but I'm not telling you to take this, but you could ask your doctor if you can take this. So, at the very minimum, both partners should be taking a daily vitamin. Female partner should be taking her prenatal with at least 400 microgram folic acid. And then the male partner, I always recommend taking a men's vitamin with zinc and magnesium to help with egg and sperm quality. Another good fertility supplement is CoQ10, It's typically found in the heart health aisle. I don't know. Did you ever take that when you were doing IVF, Stephanie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, you can just get it over the counter, but some studies have shown that it increases adding sperm quality once you've been taking it for about three months or so. So I'll advise my my dosing and schedule recommendations for that with my patients. So it's definitely something to bring up with your provider if you're thinking about getting pregnant, that's something you should take.
0: Yeah, okay, okay. So if we're doing all those things, Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here and I'm like remembering all of the things that I tried and like, and no... Well, okay, here's here's one question I want to ask before before we move on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One of the things, and I know you know this, that people say all the time is that stress mm-hmm. is bad for fertility. Mm-hmm. And then you go in and you go, Hey, I'm not getting pregnant, and you're like upset about it. Mm-hmm. And then someone tells you that if you just were less upset about it, that maybe you'd get pregnant. And it's like, huh, ah, like that is so infuriating and crazy. Like, mm-hmm. talk to me about the actual yeah. relationship of stress
1: to fertility. fertility. There's really like there is really no convincing data on stress actually, you know, being a cause of infertility. Now, does high stress stress levels increase your cortisol level, you know, put you into that fight or flight mode? Absolutely. But the type of stress stress, what that we're talking about, that would lead to fertility issues is not the type of stress that any of us here in the United States are really going to be experiencing on a day-to-day basis. Now, we all have stress. We all have first world stress. And a lot of us are going through really tough things, really tough mental health things. But if stress were a form of birth control, then the unplanned pregnancy rate in the United States would not be 50%. And so there's really, there's not a lot of good data, you know, if you get a massage once a week that you're going to get pregnant. And a lot of us who have gone through infertility have heard that like a thousand times over, like, well, maybe you should quit your job. And I'm like, well, maybe you should quit yours. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and so oh, I, just, I always take that with a grain of salt and, and just understanding. And, and I think that also puts the blame on the person who's trying to conceive, you know, like oh, well, if you just did this, then maybe you'd get pregnant, you know, like our mothers weren't stressed or like our grandmothers weren't stressed or like, you know, people haven't been stressed their whole life, but but the type of stress we're talking about isn't going to be something that we have to really work on. And of course we want to decrease our cortisol levels, but if you're moving your body 150 minutes a week, you're focusing on colorful nutrient dense foods, you know, Trying to decrease your stress, stress levels where you can, a lot of that is going to have positive effects on your cortisol levels, and any type of stress that would affect your fertility can be counteracted by that. So, um, yeah, facials, massages, unfortunately, are not evidence based. <laughs> I feel
0: like we could maybe like slide that one we under.
1: Could, like, like, let's pretend a little bit, but
0: yeah. Let's pretend you didn't say that last part just okay. could not okay. <laughs> uh but that's so good to that's so good to hear like it just is it's the worst telling someone like well don't who's telling someone who's stressed don't be stressed that gives you another thing to be stressed about and it really it does it puts the blame on you that if you just I don't know were handling this better and really you're handling everything as well as you possibly can that you'd be pregnant so it's yeah it's just I'm I'm glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. So you said that if we've been trying for a year and we're below 35, mm-hmm. I guess if we've been trying for longer than a year and we're below 35 and it hasn't, we haven't gotten pregnant, that that's when we should like reach out and talk to someone. And then if we're over 35, six months. Mm-hmm. So what kinds of things, like who do we talk to and what might be going wrong? Like yeah. What does that process even look
1: like? So as far as who to talk to, I think both partners should have a workup. So according to American Society for Reproductive Medicine, 35% of infertility is caused by female issues. 35 is going to be male factor issues. So male and female infertility is actually equal. And a lot of times we just like blame everything on ourselves. Like, oh, we're not getting pregnant. It's my fault. But literally, half, you know, it's half female problems, half male problems. 20% of the time it's going to be both. So if you're unfortunate to, you know, have it be both and then 10% of the time it's going to be unexplained infertility. So it's important for you both to get a workup. Um, And so for men, that's going to be starting, men is a lot easier. All they have to start with is a semen analysis, make sure that they're contributing. For women, on the other hand, there's a lot of different things that we, we want to do, um, a basic workup is going to, like a basic infertility workup, someone comes to me and she's just like, I'm not getting pregnant. First thing I'm going to ask her, are you tracking your cycles? Yes, I'm doing my LH test strips. I, I know when I'm ovulating and we're still not pregnant. Um, we're going to do an ultrasound at the pelvis. We're going to make sure all of the structures in there are healthy. Um, we may an evaluation of fallopian tube patency. You know, if the fallopian tubes aren't open for that egg to roll down, then that egg is getting lost. It's not able to even get into the fallopian tube. Um, we're going to check progesterone levels in the luteal phase. We're going to make sure that. The corpus luteum is secreting the progesterone that it should be in order to sustain the pregnancy until the placenta can develop. We're gonna check on your metabolism, like your thyroid function, your your thyroid and your metabolism have a lot to do with the signal pathway between the brain and the ovary and that feedback loop on if all the right messages are getting sent. Um, and then we're also going to want to evaluate for PCOS, which is a leading cause of female infertility, ovulation disorders, things like that. So it's gonna be blood work, it's gonna be ultrasounds. it's gonna be a conversation on like what have you tried so far? Um, what are you doing? And then taking that information and you may you know get further work up after that. But that's like your basic, you come in for your appointment, you know what are they going want what are they going to want to see from me?
0: yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. um i know that i did all of those things i don't remember most of them i think i think probably the the reason is i mean i know i did i did so much blood work but i i don't remember them coming back and saying well this is this is what's happening because i think probably because everything looked fine cuz we were in the in the 10% mm-hmm. uh,
1: that had unexplained infertility they were never able to figure out what was going wrong. And so that's the most frustrating, honestly, like for me as a provider, but then also for you as a patient, because everything seems to be fine, but there's so much like about infertility that we still don't even know. It's a miracle that anyone ever gets pregnant ever really with how many things go on in the body. And the largest cause of female infertility is going to be problems with ovulation and endometriosis. And then the largest problems for men is going to be low sperm count without identifiable cause like We don't know why you just have low sperm count. And then, yeah. And then in the 10%, it's like, well, we just don't know. You know, and it's hard to call a patient and be like, everything's normal. I don't know why you're not pregnant. Yeah, it is frustrating. Mm -hmm.
0: So if something, I I guess, I know that the the path really like uh, goes in a whole bunch of different directions at this point Mm -hmm. based on, you know, what comes back. But for someone who's sitting here, you know, I think a lot of the people in my life who don't have kids yet are feeling some anxiety about what if I can't get pregnant because they've seen people like me and like you who have had a really hard road. And so what sort of, I and I guess kind of generally, because again, like it's, you know, there are all kinds of really specific paths you'd walk down, but what is possible? Like if something is wrong, what are some options? Like, is, is there anything that you can like share that would maybe ease their minds a little yeah. bit.
1: So I always say a good place to start is your regular women's health care provider, whether that be your midwife, your OB, your women's health nurse practitioner, someone who you already have a, a relationship with, kind of tell them what's been going on. They can conduct a preliminary evaluation. All those things we talked about, most of those providers are going to be able to offer you at least that. And they can either say, yeah, we don't know what's wrong and send you to a specialist, or they can be like, oh, your thyroid's off. Well, no wonder, you know, and it can be as simple as a pill and and you're good to go. Um, It could be as simple as, you know, you're getting positive LH surges, but you're not having high enough levels of progesterone. And so you're not actually ovulating, you're getting the surge, but the ovulation never occurs. And it's like, oh, well, no wonder, you know, sometimes it's, it's, you get answers right away. And so I would wait to see the infertility specialist if your normal provider doesn't have answers for you because, as you know, a lot of infertility specialists aren't covered by insurance. Um, they're very expensive. They're hard to get into. Um, it's just like a whole road, but there are, you know, the providers that you already have a relationship with that can at least get the ball rolling, get you started to feel like you're not, you know, grasping at straws. And I will add that, you know, while we do say a year, I will, you know, if people are coming to me, they've been trying for eight, nine months, and I'm not going to turn them away and be like, oh, three more months, then we can talk about this. You know, I'll offer them uh, a workup. I'll offer them like, yeah, let's, let's see if anything's going on and go from there. I know in my own infertility journey, you know, it was, it was a little before a year when I knew that something was wrong. I have endometriosis, which again, is a leading cause of female infertility. And so I just, I kind of already knew that I was going to struggle and I didn't find out about my endometriosis until. I was kind of into my trying to conceive process. And so, you know, I saw a provider and I was like, you know, I really feel like something's not right. And they were like, oh, just keep trying for the full year. And I was like, no thanks. You know, at that point, you can shop around. Like you don't, like if you're not, Feeling supported or answered by your provider. You can refer yourself to an infertility specialist. You don't have to have your OB or your midwife refer you to a specialist. You know, so for me it hadn't quite been a year, but I just didn't feel good about it. I referred myself to the specialist. I told him, hey, I talked to my OB this is what they had to say to me. I didn't feel good about that. What do you think? I got my full workup and like, here we are, you know, it was a good thing. So, you know, not every provider is going to like, whether they're an OB midwife whatever they're not all going to have the same comfort level with treating fertility like me as a midwife I really enjoy treating fertility infertility and stuff like that because I've been through that but not every midwife that I work with is going to be an expert in that and that's okay you know not every general provider is going to be an expert and that's why we have experts like reproductive endocrinologists Who are infertility experts to refer to. And so, you know, I think your primary care provider should be straight up with you. Like, fertility is really not my thing. I'm going to either A, refer you to my colleague who is good with fertility, or I'm going to refer you to a specialist. So I think that is something to consider. You know, don't feel trapped in your options, I guess, is the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense.
0: And I think, like, you know, you mentioned this earlier, but. Like it it really, the more that I have gotten to learn about how <laughs> babies are made with, you know, aside from the small like holes in my knowledge, it, it's just, it really is amazing that anyone ever gets pregnant. Yeah. And uh, like our bodies are just incredible and they're super complicated, but they're also r- usually really good at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, but in the ways that like things can get broken or might not be working, I, I was so amazed and just for, I'm forever grateful to the doctors that we got to work with and for all of the science and research that's been done because the things like that can be the workarounds are just, are just incredible. And so I think like, I've seen a lot of people get pregnant who didn't think that they were going to be able to, myself included. And so I feel like there are,
1: there are a lot of options, right? Yeah, and you know, you asked me if if there was, you know, what would I say to someone who is just trying, or like someone who's been trying for a while, like any encouragement I could give them, and and it would be just that—that science and technology has come such a long way, even from when our mothers were trying to conceive. Literally, in the last few years, what we know about the human body has just expanded exponentially, and so I would just. And, and I, I'm sure you can echo these sentiments, but there, there is hope. There really is, and you just, you don't even know how much hope there is until you get into it, and they start talking about your options. And after you've been beaten down so many times by negative tests, you, you kind of get discouraged, and you're just like, whatever, like I'm just throwing money in the trash. <laughs> um, but, but there really are like. So many people who care about you and who want to see you be successful. And so, you know, my biggest plea is just to hang on to that hope and to try and trust the process and, you know, remain steadfast through the process. And eventually, you know, you'll definitely get that reward. Now it doesn't work for everyone. You know, we, we all knew people who've done every avenue. They've done IVF. There's ways for those people to be parents as well. And nothing's perfect. But I I never want anyone to give up before they've given a fighting chance.
0: I love that. I love that. Becca, thank you so much for the work that you do. I, I just, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you're talking about things that just don't get talked about enough because the fact that you're doing that means that we don't have to go through them alone. And these things are really hard and they're scary and they're complicated, but to know that we don't have to go through them alone makes them feel more doable. And so just...
1: Thank you. And thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy to be here to hopefully help some girls in your community and you know, have a Girls Night conversation. It was so funny when you were talking about like, oh, maybe this is TMI, but like on my page, really nothing is TMI in my line of work. It's just like the things I talk about at the dinner table, <laughs> um, most people would be uncomfortable with, but that's why I'm here. It's a no judgment zone. It's totally open. You can ask any questions. So... Uh, oh sounds like now time's over yep I was gonna say I just heard mine wake up too
0: Um, well I'm gonna link to all of your everything um, in the show notes so everyone can go follow along with you and um, connect with you and um, just thanks again for coming on the show of course thanks for having me guys thank you so much for listening to the episode I can't tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls Night before you go I would love it if you would do two quick things The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of sort of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is it would mean so much to me if you would take just a second to leave us a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our Girls' Nights. So would you do me a huge favor and take just one quick second to leave us a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so much. And thank you to all of you who've left those beautiful five-star reviews already. It means the world to me. All right, friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night. I'll see you then.